0: This episode of Arizona Spotlight is supported by the City of Bisbee.
1: For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, some new ways of looking at border experiences from differing viewpoints. Poet Jody Hollander tells about some free workshops beginning this month that seek to discover inspiration in wide open spaces. And going deep with the music of Oceanography, a one-man band sharing some very personal stories through song. Those stories are all next on Arizona Spotlight. There is currently a Mellon Foundation-sponsored research program called Fronteri Dadas that focuses on building cultural connections through the arts and humanities. It's administered locally by the University of Arizona Confluence Center. And next, Itai Sofer will talk to two storytellers who are portraying the border experience through different lenses.
2: Linda Choi is a geography Ph.D. student at the University of Arizona. For her research, Choi produced a podcast about her parents, Korean immigrants who have owned a dress shop south of the border in Nogales since she was a child. I began by asking Choi how her family overcame language barriers and found a place within the Nogales community.
3: Well, Spanish quickly became my mother's second language. You know, my my brother grew up thinking he was um, Mexican because he arrived um he was like three years old so that's you know pretty much all he knew and my mom developed or my family developed their connections through the people they work with all their employees and also other people who owned shops and lived in that area so i guess um that's how they were able to embed themselves in in the social network
2: and like what was the contrast between those two environments
3: um it was an incredible risk for them to leave los angeles they left a place in la where there were many um korean americans and immigrants and they left it leaving a community and a sense of place so this sense of place that they had was um, informed by like an already existing you know asian-american community so essentially they crossed borders when they moved all the way um, to this border so it was risky for them in that sense, in the way that I described earlier, once they arrived, they found this place that was kind of, you know, not the, it's the U.S., but not the U.S. And it, it was very shocking in that way, but they adjusted and it, and they made it and still do make it their home. But they also were able to see, um, um, and I guess capitalize on the fact that the border was so open. And there were all the, these women from Mexico, too, that were making these long treks for their own livelihoods and to pay for their own um, family. So they were also, you know, it was also risky for them to make this cross-border trek.
2: What do you hope that the podcast and um, your research, what do you hope is the impact of, of what you're doing?
3: It shifted a little because the the closure of the border um, really had huge social and economic repercussions for downtown Nogales and the city as a whole so as that cross-border flows completely stopped um it really stopped a lot of you know families and commerce and sort of all the economic flows that happened so i think i wanted to highlight how um, not only u.s border policies but the pandemic uh, really affected the downtown area which who have settled along
2: the borderlands. Linda Choi describes her podcast as auto-ethnographic, which means all of the stories are told from the perspective of her parents and others in the community she grew up in. Next, I spoke with Gloria Flores, a PhD student in Latin American Literary and Cultural Studies. Flores accepted a grant from the Confluence Center to choreograph a dance project featuring women's stories from around the world a collaboration Flores named Pendular Borders. I started by asking her to describe the participants.
4: Yeah, uh, I made an open call for female migrants, and I did it through social media. So I got women from all over the place. I got females across the border from Argentina and Chile. Uh, females that across the border from the United States, from Cuba in the United States, and from Spain in the United States. So we had a great variety of, of women that were interested in dancing and sharing their stories as migrants.
2: So the women you worked with were typically not people who are professional dancers?
4: Definitely not, no. I mean, some of them had some background in dance, but they were definitely not professional dancers.
2: Did you get any interesting feedback from the people you worked with? Times where someone in your group told you something that they were feeling about your project, how it impacted them?
4: Yeah, no, it was it was great because at a session we would start up. I never asked them to share any personal experiences that they didn't want to, but we would just share how we were feeling and then we would build up in the in class, you know, sharing only movement and then Towards the end of class, we would go back and check in, right? And um, we saw in them that after sharing movement, they were able to share verbally how they were feeling or things they were going through in their personal life.
2: Because something that I thought was interesting was that when I was looking at the Mellon Fronterrares grant, was that a lot of the funding was going towards projects that had to do with the arts and had to do with sociology. So why do you feel that those Mm -hmm. kinds of projects are important?
4: Everything that we saw in the past two, three years, not just with COVID, but with all these border regulations, right? The building of the wall, the um, caravans, the way that we are being informed about these things, it's always from a political standpoint. Thinking about how this affects economically and how this affects, you know, uh, security and all these things. But I think funding projects in the arts and the humanities really gives a different scope to how the border actually
2: works. Due to the pandemic, the dance collective had to rehearse on Zoom. Gloria Flores premiered a video of their Fronteridades project in front of a live audience last December. Flores hopes to reunite pendular borders soon for a second season. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Itai Sofer.
1: Across so many centuries, the majestic vistas of our state's national parks and monuments have become the subject of a lot of beautiful art. Their ability to inspire remains inexhaustible. And for those who have always hoped to find a way to tap into their own poetic voice, there is a free series of workshops beginning on Saturday, April 16th, that offers guidance. I talked with the originator of Poetry in the Parks, author Jody Hollander, about what first led her to choose the path to becoming a poet.
4: Yeah,
0: I don't know that I necessarily chose it. Um, I think it chose me. I uh, was already writing poems when I was a little girl. Um, was writing a lot of poetry in high school and college, and sort of looked around and didn't see any way that a person could make a living as a poet. So I went into being a high school teacher, which I also enjoyed very much, but um, I just had this feeling that I was missing out on what I was really supposed to be doing, and that was to be a poet. As hard as I tried to kind of ignore that little voice that said, you need to explore what it's like to be a poet, I just, I couldn't ignore it, Um, and so eventually I kind of took a risk, and I, I left teaching, and I moved to England, and was in a poetry master's program in England. That's where I sort of began this journey as a poet
1: when we first spoke you mentioned this project involving national parks and these Mm -hmm. these protected public spaces in arizona that are enjoyed by people year round how might you describe this upcoming project
0: in celebration of april being national poetry month i'll be working with several national parks and national monuments across the state of arizona to offer a number of free poetry workshops that allow um, anyone who's interested to create an original poem through the inspiration of their public land. One of the things I really like about this is that it's a unique location with which to create a new poem. Um, There's so much history in in some of these monuments and parks that we'll be working with. Um, But also, these workshops are free, so that cost wouldn't be a barrier, or, or shouldn't be a barrier anyway, to anyone who wants to attend.
1: Well, can you give us an example of the way that you think that writing about or writing within a public space like that can influence the words, can influence the poetry?
0: I mean, I think in all kinds of unexpected ways. The workshop starts off with a little bit of a lesson about some basics in poetry. We talk about line breaks. We talk about techniques for building sound, um, for selecting the best narrative details, that type of thing. Um, And then the participants have the opportunity to wander around the national park or national monument with three different writing prompts that I'll give them, um, and they'll be doing free write. So this is not something that they would necessarily be sharing with the class. For example, when we started this project um, in 2019 in Walnut Canyon, one of the prompts was to look for examples of decay or death or destruction that was found around them and participants were able to really generate some ideas based off of what they were seeing. Um, And they were able to combine maybe what was going on with them internally in their own emotional, intellectual landscape with what they were seeing on the outside around them in a national park or monument. And some really incredibly powerful poems came from that. I'm expecting uh, the same things to happen at, um, at Saguaro, Casa Grande, and, and Montezuma and all of the places that we'll be running the workshops this year.
1: In your own writing career, do you use the inspiration of these wide open spaces in the things that you write about?
0: That's one of the central themes of my work. I actually have a poem I could share with you here that's um, set in the Macedon range of Australia, where I lived for a couple of years. This one is called Two Horses. There is no happiness like the happiness of horses. Just look at these two beauties moving through the landscape. Who has sent them to us and from whatever world? Today I'm watching them meandering together beside the acacia trees. As they pause to eat grass, I see their long tails swaying in the sunlight. And I wonder what they know of life that I don't know. I've seen them stand for hours. It doesn't really matter whether the rains are coming or if that familiar darkness will soon be on its way. Seeing them here today under this vast Australian sky, it finally dawns upon me. My life is more than enough. To be alive
4: is a blessing.
1: Jodi, for our listeners right now who might be considering taking part in the workshop, um, where are you going to be meeting across this state?
0: We're kicking off the tour in Tucson on April 16th and April 17th. We're holding um, workshops at Saguaro National Park at the east entrance from 9.30 to 12.30 uh, in the morning. And each workshop does require uh, advanced sign-up. And then on April 19th, we'll be moving up to Casa Grande, same time, 9.30 to 12.30 there. And then on April 21st, up a little bit further north to Montezuma. And then April 23rd and 24th will be the final two workshops at Walnut Canyon. And again, those same times, 9.30 to 12.30. And this is something that we are hoping to expand a little bit more every year. So um, we're so delighted to be able to get it off the ground this year, having been delayed for two years with COVID.
1: In closing, uh, Jody Hollander, do you have another poem that you can share with us?
0: Maybe I'll finish off by reading the title poem of my first collection, which is My Dark Horses. Please do. If only I were more like my dark horses, I wouldn't have to worry all the time that I was running too little and resting too much. I'd spend my hours grazing in the sunlight and taking long naps in the vast pastures. And when it was time to move along, I'd know. I'd spend some time with all those I'd loved, then disappear into a gathering of trees. If only I were more like my dark horses, I wouldn't be so frightened of the storms. Instead, when the clouds began to gather and fill, I'd make my way calmly to the shed and stand close to all the other horses. Together, we'd let the rain fall round us, knowing as darkness passes overhead that, above all, this is the time to be still.
1: Jody Hollander, thank you very much for your time.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You can find a link to connect with poet Jody Hollander and reserve spots in each of the six free Poetry in the Parks workshops coming up in April at jodyhollander.com. Hailing from Oakland, California, Brian Kelly is a songwriter and multi-talented musician who over the years has paid his dues in a variety of bands and collaborations. Now performing solo at age 45, Kelly calls himself Oceanography, and he decided for very personal reasons to return to doing what he loves. Oceanography will be in Tucson on April 14th. He'll play songs from his new independent album, 13 songs about driving nowhere in alphabetical order. Naturally, I had to start by asking him about that title.
5: Yes, it's a mouthful, and it's full of lies and contradictions, I suppose, (laughs) because there are only 10 songs on the album, and the song list is not in alphabetical order.
1: Well then, why in the world would you call it that? Come on.
5: Yeah, why would I do that? Um, it's it not a good marketing choice, that's for sure. <laughs> um, too many words. Um, but it kind of came to me because it, when I had written the album, my life was just a big mess. Um, maybe it still is a big mess, I don't know, but um, there was just a lot of chaos going on. Um, the kind of confusing nature of the title worked. I figured, hey, why not? It doesn't need to necessarily make any sense because life rarely makes any sense.
1: An emotion that I think is, is really uh, prominent among these 10 songs is there's a kind of romanticism. There's a little bit of longing and nostalgia. These appear to me to be kind of relationship songs. Yeah. What do you think about that?
5: I mean, I think you're right. Um, that's totally, um, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I mean, it's like relationships with family and relationships with significant others. Um, that's kind of the gist of, of the album, really.
1: How would you say that family dynamics and recovering from loss, uh, recovering from grief, how would you say that those things come to play?
5: That greatly influenced this album. Um, I wrote this when my big sister had, had recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And, and so we as a family had got kind of been thrust into this situation. We were all kind of trying to help her, and, and um, it was a difficult time. And it, that, that did inspire a lot of the songs um, on this. I had started working on it just before she was diagnosed. and um, So I had initially had a bunch of songs that I had planned to record, and I kind of ended up creatively shifting and throwing out some of those songs and writing new ones.
1: Well, right now, why don't you pick a song off the album and tell us a little bit about the story behind it, and uh, and then we'll listen to some of it.
5: The first track, Monterey, um, deals with like how love is expressed within the family dynamic, and and you know sometimes you can you can be the the hardest on the ones that are closest to you because you know that their their love is unconditional and they'll they'll kind of take it. And I guess this this song was written at the time when when my sister was really not doing well and and, uh, there was a lot of uh, tension surrounding her illness. Like, she had kind of relied on me a lot. You know, I look back on it now and I realize that I I had been very angry with her. I I have regrets when it comes to, like, how I showed my love for her, and I wish I had been more patient and less angry. And I, I don't know, I just if there's any anything anyone can take away from this song it's, it's you know don't be afraid to express how much you you love someone cuz you might never see them again so it's, it's important you know don't don't let your emotions get in the way when it comes to showing your love for someone the fog is thin, slow
1: What form does oceanography take now, Brian? I mean, do you tour and perform alone?
5: Um, I am, I'm about to embark on a three plus month tour and I will be all by my lonesome, which is slightly terrifying. I leave tomorrow, I'll be living in a van. My set will entail kind of three parts. The first being like kind of a quieter acoustic set. Second part will be like an electric guitar. And then the third part will be, you know, with some backing tracks. The backing track part, I might actually do a little bit of, like, some karaoke-style delivery. A couple of months ago, I had uh, sprained my wrist, so, and I had a show book And in order to do the show, I had to make these backing tracks. And it was, like, the first time I'd performed without holding a guitar and singing, you know. Um, so I just kind of did a karaoke version of the set. And people were like, that was great. You should do that regularly so I'm I've incorporating that into my set.
1: How do you think that you might negotiate the loneliness of being out there for three months by I yourself? don't
5: know I'm just gonna have to deal with it the way it comes I think that's a good question because I really don't know it's kind of uncharted territory for me I'm leaving on this tour with a lot of emotions kind of pent up from number one from the pandemic and number two I'm grieving still from my sister So I've been preparing for a long time for this tour. Like I've built a van that I'll be living in. So it's a converted minivan that I'm calling Van Halen um, because my my nephew said I should name it Van Halen. So a lot of preparation (laughs) has gone into this. And and as it's getting closer, I'm getting more emotional, I'm realizing. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I'm leaving, you know, my family and I'm going to miss them. Um, But I'm also, you know, I like meeting new people. So, I, I don't know, I, it's, I'm i realizing as I'm answering
2: it, kind of how I'm
1: feeling. I could feel the emotions, you know, building up there. And if you were about to skydive, I would have gone ahead and pushed you out of the plane right about then, yeah. it sounds like you just need to do it. Time to it. go,
5: Brian, time to
1: go. Yeah, yeah, but that'll, that you'll, you'll encounter that tomorrow. So, Brian, you told me that you're 45 and obviously are dedicating a lot of your energy and time to your music. Um, has yeah. that created a, any kind of conflict for you in your life?
5: Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but um, you still, you still got to sing, got to dance.
5: When you see someone you love die, it puts things into perspective. My sister, um, she, she was an artist and she was an influence on me in ways that I never realized until, you know, after she passed, like, you know, she did what she loved to do and resisted the temptation to live a straight life. She was a beautiful woman who could have gotten married and had someone take care of her. And that was kind of the family expectations. Maybe I'm oversharing right now, but, but she chose not to do that. She resisted that and did everything on her own. Um, and did what she wanted to do. And that's what I'm doing now. You know, I'm, I've spent a good portion of my life not doing what I wanted to do and just kind of doing what people expected of me. And I, I don't want to do that. So that's, that's why I'm <laughs> going to be living in a van for three and a half months.
1: <laughs> Brian, I've been doing the show now since about 2007. And in that time, I've gotten a lot of emails, and a lot of bands have sent me recordings or links to their Bandcamp page or whatever. And um, a lot of them, just nothing happens. We don't ever connect. But the day that I received the email from you, I clicked on your page, and I listened to a couple of your tunes, and I kept listening. There was a certain rhyme that you used on a song. It's the song called End of Isabel, which definitely Mm -hmm. is a breakup song. And uh, you used the rhyming scheme of connecting the sound of gravel uh, hitting in your wheel well with saying goodbye to Isabel. And I thought it was a real poetry slam dunk. And it was that moment when I realized, yeah, I want to get this guy on the show. So uh, let's go out now and let the audience hear uh, the end of Isabel here at the end of the interview. Uh, tell us a little bit about it as the music comes up.
5: You make me cry, Mark. Jeez. Thank you so much. For, for all the kind words that really means a lot. End of Isabel is, is, is basically about a toxic relationship. When I was a kid, there was this uh, dirt road that we would drive down as kids, and it was like we would um, you know hit the throttle really hard, and the wheels would spin, and we'd you know, kick up gravel, and we'd, we'd really book it down the road in like, my mom's station wagon, and it was just a fun thing to do. And um, also really stupid and disrespectful to the people who live on that road and at one time you know i was doing it and some guy came out uh, with a baseball bat and he was like if i see you on this road again i'm gonna you know beat your car with this bat and it scared me half to death um i think that was the last time i did it um and that, that's kind of like a toxic relationship metaphor a little bit like you're kind of you're in it you're you're hurting each other you're hitting the throttle you're hitting all the potholes there's something exciting about it, but like, you know, it's, it's got to end. And, and it's like, you know, you, you sing an ugly song 10 times too long. You know, it, that's basically, it's kind of a merging of those two thoughts. So it always
1: My guest was Brian Kelly, aka Oceanography. He's traveling now on his three plus month solo tour and he'll be playing at the Thunder Canyon Brewery on 220 East Broadway in Tucson on Thursday, April 14th at 7 p.m. More of his music is on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM radio studios. AZPM's news director is Christopher Conover. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Production assistance from Etai Sofer. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore.
0: Thank you to the City of Bisbee for their support of Arizona Spotlight.